the rest of the church in the world today by singing the global hymn which we practiced last week. And uh, the news from the Gettys who organize this is that nearly a million people are joining together in over 73 countries to lift up the name of Jesus as we sing uh, together, Jesus shall reign. Now, um, there's a story behind this. Um, any of you watching the Winter Olympics? Okay. Do you remember uh, the Olympics where Eric Little participated? Or you know the story at least. You might not remember. So can someone tell us a story? Okay. So what happened then, though? He did something else, didn't he? <laughs> Margaret, you do part two. Was it 200 meters he ran instead, and against all the odds, he won. Yeah, so he won. Yes. <laughs> and he died as a missionary in China. Margaret Young had him as a tutor. He stayed behind voluntarily with his pupils when communism took over and used to organize games and fun for them in a prisoner war camp. A friend of ours has just died recently. Margaret Young, Aunt Georgia. And so she, she was there with Eddie Little. Margaret. So, Margaret, as usual, stole my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> After winning his gold medal. After winning his gold medal on, on, on the, not on the, the Lord's Day, but on, on the Monday, uh, he came back and he was, of course, a great celebration, and um, he was in every newspaper. He was a hero, but as we have just heard, uh, he was compelled, Eric Little was compelled to bring the gospel to people who hadn't heard the gospel, and he really was compelled, as, as Margaret told us, to, to go to China to be a missionary. Any of our Chinese friends in today? Surprise, first time ever. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> we normally have a few of Chinese friends. So Eric Little went to China. And uh, how many of you have been to Waverley Station in Edinburgh? A lot of us. So anyway, this is the story. I'm just going to read it for you. Um, he com felt compelled to bring the gospel to these people. and couldn't run away from this. He couldn't run away from this calling. And as he le uh, left on the train at Waverley Station, he was asked to deliver a speech uh, to fans and supporters gathered uh, to see the Olympic champion off. And he was criticized by the press, by the English press, for being such a fool for leaving his you know, career as an athlete behind to go as a missionary to China. So this was his speech at Waverley Station. Instead of delivering a speech, he led the people in singing the missionary hymn, Jesus Shall Reign, at Waverley Station. And uh, while interned during the Second World War, he served alongside the China, China Inland Mission, which became OMF, 
and the Getty support the OMF and through this uh, singing worldwide singing today of this hymn uh, Jesus shall reign it reminds us of our need to reach out to people from all nations and what a great example Eric Little was so let's uh, unite our hearts in prayer Lord we thank you for the fact that um, a million people across 73 countries today would be singing that particular hymn, Jesus shall reign. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till sun shall rise and set no more. We thank you, Lord, for the witness that is the witness of the church, the church uh, united, Lord, where we are one. You command that blessing, a blessing that will never end. So, Lord, as we pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe, as we were singing together today, we pray, Lord, especially for uh, those who are singing in prisons because of their faith, um, those who couldn't uh, tell that they were singing today for fear of persecution, Lord, we are so amazed at these incredible stories of congregations uh, who are strengthened and encouraged through persecution around the world. And we pray, Lord, that um, our sense of unity, of our sense of oneness would be increased and deepened and that our faith would be dynamic, powerful, that dunamis, that is, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And we pray, Lord, that it would lead us all to that sense of service, uh, maybe here, maybe elsewhere. Lord, as we make disciples, we thank you. Even last Sunday, as we asked for different languages to come up to the front to people from different countries and languages to come up to say Happy New Year uh, in, in their different languages as we celebrated the Chinese New Year. We thank you, Lord, for the 10 or 11 languages, I can't remember, uh, that came up to show us, Lord, that even in this small church, uh, there will be people being sent from here as Christians uh, to the far corners of the world with the gospel. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the testimony of Eric Little. Thank you for that story. Although he couldn't run his own race, yet he ran another race, which was your race for him, Lord, and he won that 400-meter sprint. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for the fact that even although he was called a fool by the media, he felt that sense of calling where he just couldn't run away from you and your calling on his life as he went to China with the gospel. And Lord, we see the fruit of that today where we hear of millions of millions of people in China coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for our friends from China here who have come to faith recently with us. So we pray for the work of missionary organizations. We pray for OMF, especially today, and our link with them. And we pray, Lord for you to work in our lives and for us to see uh, what we are to be busy with and doing uh, as missionaries in our own day and in our own generation. We know, Lord, and uh, we thank you for the unity even through the Billy Graham Association and our efforts, Lord, uh, for June where we will have, have a celebration of hope and where we are asked to bring our friends along, friends who may not know you yet, but, we are pray who, but who we are praying for. Thank you, Lord, for the witness of Billy Graham himself, eh, for all the media attention, and Lord, all of it being so positive because of his 
faithful witness and uh, remaining uh, free from scandal or, or stain over these many years of service where millions of people, uh, hundreds uh, of millions of people who heard the gospel through his celebrations over the years in different countries. So we thank you, Lord. We pray for Will Graham, who we met, and others of the family who will be mourning his passing, but rejoicing that he's now with the Lord and who will have heard these wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. May we hear these words ourselves too, Lord. Bless those who can't be with us, be near to those who are sick and suffering. Again, we remember Murdo and pray your blessing upon him, our, our elder, and Margaret, his wife and family, and others, Lord, who are known to us, who can't be with us today. Thank you for those who are with us today, despite suffering and difficulties in their lives. We pray that they would find blessing in the word and strengthening today. And we thank you, Lord, for um, the opportunity then to preach the gospel, uh, to be fools for Christ's sake. And we pray all things, uh, remembering the situation in Syria, Lord, that saddens us. And we pray intervention, your own, Lord, to bring peace to that area that is so familiar, even in the Bible. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sonia, welcome. And welcome, Henry. You know, this, it reminds me of something that happened in my very first congregation, way out west in, in the islands. Because one day, a young girl came with her neighbor's dog and said, can we come to church? Just what you said today. <laughs> and we said, yes, of course you can come to church. So we looked after the dog very well. Hopefully we'll look after Henry as well. Uh, he got a biscuit at the end of the service. I don't know if Henry's allowed a biscuit. We'll see. But anyway, um, this dog was so looked after by the church that when the little girl went back home to her neighbors with the dog, and the neighbor said, where have you been? She said, well, I've been to church with the dog. <laughs> and they really looked after as well. Not only did I get a biscuit, but the dog got a biscuit. I got a juice, the dog got water. And the neighbor was so impressed that her dog had been looked after so well that she came to church. Not only did she come to church, but she came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God uses any means to bring his gospel to the hearts of people. And that lady then started a Bible study in her own house where probably people who wouldn't normally come to church would go to her house because they felt safe there. And probably 20 plus people would meet in that house for a Bible study. That's a wonderful story. So thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> and I hope your experience today will be just as special. We have a special celebration today. I'm hearing through the grapevine that it's someone's birthday. One boy is pointing like this. So that must mean it's Caleb's fifth birthday. Eight. Well, I think we should sing happy birthday to Caleb. May the dear Lord bless you. Verse 2. Dear Lord, bless you. May the dear Lord, may the dear Lord bless you. 
Well done. Excellent. Sorry, Joe, I've just noticed you're here, so there's more than just one person from China. But you've got some Korean blood in you too, so. <laughs> but we talked about uh, Mr. Ross from Balantour who went to Korea and got the translation of the Bible uh, into Korean. So again, someone from a little village uh, near where Fiona and Jerry stay went to Korea and got the New Testament translated into Korean, and we see the fruit of that today, so praise God. We're going to continue our study in Exodus chapter uh, 18 today. We're going uh, further in with Moses on his journey. And uh, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' his father-in-law said to him, What are you doing? What you are doing is not good. You and the people with, with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the peoples as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, 
but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, the chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Amen. May God bless to us that reading. Sonia, I should have said, we do have a cat here as well. Is Henry happy with the cat? Oh, he's scared of Oswald. Oh, he's scared of Oswald. All right. He knows his place. We're scared of Oswald. I should have said, those of you from the Falkirk area, although I hope to be at the, the well tonight for the first part of the Gideons, I'm also preaching at Olivet Church in Falkirk or in that area at 6.30. So if, you, if that suits you, uh, maybe you would like to come along to that. So let's turn back to Exodus chapter 18. And um, we're going to look at this together. Uh, and I think there's a lot for us to learn here today. Uh, especially in light of um, our plans here in Stirling. But even if you're not in the church in Stirling, there's, there's a lot for us here to, to learn from. If you were here last week, we read, remember, of the Amalekites, the enemies of God who were awful, evil people um, attacking the children of God. And remember how Joshua, who would become Moses' successor, how Joshua... Uh, appears on the scene, and he led the men uh, of Israel into battle, while Moses raised uh, the staff of God above his head in prayer, in, in, in acknowledgement, really, that uh, the battle really was the Lord's, and uh, he alone would secure victory because the odds really were stacked against Israel. But remember when Moses became weary, and there's really a connection between last week's uh, chapter uh, in 17 and today, when Moses became weary, Aaron and Hur assisted him by holding up his arms until the going down of the sun. And um, we saw how the people of God prevailed when Moses' arms were raised uh, to heaven. But when he grew weary, the Amalekites uh, prevailed. But their leadership really was united under the Lord's guidance. And really when that leadership was united, and when the people of God were united, success was assured. So today we see how the Lord reveals to Moses that he now needs to involve others in the work of the ministry. And he does this by sending his father-in-law, Jethro, to him with wise counsel. It's interesting to notice how often father-in-law is mentioned in that reading today, you know, uh, just so we get it. He is Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, although he's called Rule uh, by another name earlier in this Exodus story. So just two headings today, you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, Jethro's arrival and Jethro's advice. But first of all, Jethro's arrival. Jethro, the priest of Midian, verse 1, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all 
God had all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, as I said, we first come across Jethro in the second chapter in Exodus. We're told, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. Moses came to the rescue and watered the flock, and Rule gave his daughter Sipporah to Moses in marriage. Now, as we said, notice how Jethro in the first instance is referred to as rule, which means friend of God. They are the one and the same person. And we know that Moses worked for Jethro, his father-in-law, for 40 years until the time uh, that God appeared to him at the burning bush. Chapter 4 in Exodus, verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt. And Jethro said, Go in peace. So it was evident after that long time, that 40 years together, that there was a real respect uh, between Moses and his father-in-law. There was a great relationship uh, built, of course, over these many years as he served his father-in-law by looking after the sheep. And we read in Exodus 4.20, when Moses had left Midian heading towards Egypt, he had taken his wife and sons with him, and he had taken the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God never really left Moses' hand. But we read something very interesting in chapter 4, this time verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, that is Moses, and sought to put Moses to death. Moses whom he had chosen, Moses whom he had revealed, remember God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, why was God displeased? Well, Moses had failed to maintain the conditions of the covenant of circumcision that God had laid down to Abraham. Moses had failed to circumcise his sons. And it was Sipporah, his wife, who acted very quickly to rectify the matter and she circumcised her son. Now, we're not really sure what time exactly uh, that Moses and his wife and sons, uh, that Moses sent his wife and sons back to the safety of Midian. Was it exactly then or, or later? But he did send Zipporah and their sons back to Midian for safety, back to Jethro, his father-in-law. He entrusted them to his father-in-law's care. So now, that's just by way of background. Here in verses 2 to 4 we read, Now Jethro, this is many years later, Moses' father-in-law had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and after he had sent her home along with her two sons. So that had happened. And now Jethro's going to come back. Now it's interesting that, she's re that, that the children are referred to as her sons. After he had sent her home along with her two sons. Moses had called the first of his sons Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and he named Eliezer, meaning the Lord my help. So now Jethro deems it crucial that this family is united. And we all live in society where, where families are, are broken up. Some of us here uh, work in the social services, as social workers, and, we, and some of us have had... Uh, personal 
experiences maybe of family breakdown, families breaking up. But here Jethro sees the necessity and the importance of Moses being reunited with Zipporah, his wife, and his two sons. And he sent word to Moses to expect their arrival at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, as we've seen, where Israel, of course, were encamped. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. And notice what he did. He bowed down and kissed him. He's really honoring Jethro. He's displaying a, a deep respect for him. They cared for each other. They had a great relationship, remember. They asked each other about uh, each other's welfare. So the focus really initially is between Moses and Jethro, his father-in-law, the two men, rather than the husband and wife relationship. Support and the boys aren't really mentioned at this stage. But it's this trust between Moses and Jethro that is evident, and that is the focal point. So Moses tells his father-in-law, verse 8, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the, to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So really, Moses gave an honest report. There, there has been good things have happened since I've seen you, and there's been really tough times since I've seen you. And, that, and so it is on our journey of faith. When we meet up with friends, we say, well, how, how are things going? Well, this has been good, but you know, this has been awful. This has happened. And so it was with Moses. But right through it all, as we said last week, God was with him. And God was with his people. So Moses gives that honest report. And he gave God the glory. And Mo, uh, uh, Jethro had already heard of the deliverance of God's people. Remember the very first verse. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. But he wanted to know the details. So when he heard the details, he, he honored God. We read there in verse 9 that he rejoiced in all the good that, the, that God had done. And he said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and the hands of Pharaoh. And then he gives this amazing profession of faith. Verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And he really worshipped the Lord God of Israel. He brought a burnt, a burnt offering and, a sacrif and sacrifices to God. And his sacrifices were accepted. For we read that Aaron, the high priest, came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. So the, the God of Moses is also the God of Jethro, his father-in-law. Jethro expresses this personal faith in God. Now I know. I know this personally. And that really gives us a fresh insight into the, and understanding of the, of the person and the work of the Lord. He comes and he speaks to us personally. We have that personal testimony, like the Apostle Paul. He loved me, and he gave himself for me. And God desires that every person everywhere should know him. In all the nations of the world, remember in Exodus chapter seven, verse, chapter 6, verse 7, he says, I will take you, he says, to Israel. I will take you, my people, and you shall know you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the bondage of, of the Egyptians, of the burdens of the Egyptians. And then he says in chapter 7, 
The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So Jethro said, Now I know. Friend today, can you say that you have that personal relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to know the Lord God for yourself? Can you see with the apostle, he loved me and he gave himself for me because, you know, it needs to be that personal. And notice Jethro in thanksgiving brought sacrifices. Interestingly, it's a first mention of sacrifices being offered in the desert. But Moses had spoken often to Pharaoh saying, this is going to happen. We will... We're going we're gonna to make sacrifices to God, our God. You've got to give us that opportunity. I think it's chapter 10, verse 25. We can just find it quickly. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices. This is him talking to Pharaoh when they were still in bondage in Egypt. You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And here is the first example of a sacrifice being made, as Moses predicted, but, you know, it's made by Jethro, his father-in-law, who has obviously come to the saving knowledge of God. So Jethro worshipped God. And secondly, he offered Moses advice. Jethro's arrival. Secondly, Jethro's advice. Verses 13 to 14. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Jethro saw all that he was doing, he was incredulous. Now, let's get an idea of the number of people that came with Moses. Remember in chapter 12 we read. Can you remember the number? 600,000 men, besides women and children, in the company of the Israelites. How could one man minister to them all? Surely there were too many for him to deal with individually. So Jethro asks him two questions. What and why? What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning to evening. Now Moses, like all good church leaders, is quick to justify himself. <laughs> quick to justify his workload. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Now Moses, after all, as we've seen on this journey, Moses was God's chosen representative. He was the covenant mediator. He was Israel's sole judge. But he was absolutely exhausted. He was weary of sorting out 
their quarrels and hassles. We've seen it, the grumbling, constant, daily. He was overworked. It's no wonder he said, I've got no time for my family. I'll just leave them with Jethro. He had no time for them, and because he had no time for them, he had neglected them. But he was also too busy to, to, to help the majority of those who were seeking spiritual guidance. Something had to change. The people expected too much of him. He was giving too much of himself. It became about one man. And the one man was running on empty. And if we as a church or as a denomination don't learn from this, there are so many ministers who get burnt out. So many ministers even today I know who are off sick. There are so many who are running on empty. And in that workload they forget or we forget the importance of feeding the inner man of our own personal devotion. That we need to spend time in communion with God. So as I ask myself the question, I ask you the question, are you too busy for Jesus? You know, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the leaves of activity. Every Christian should endeavor to spend time daily in God's presence. You see, God had not called Moses to do everything. He was God's servant. He was not a servant to all the people with all their grumblings and complaints and, and so often at so many silly things. People fall out over rotas. <laughs> you know, he, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So instead of Moses, uh, Jethro saying, wow, aren't you great, Moses? You're doing all that for God. Isn't that fantastic? You know, that's what we sometimes do. We affirm guys who are getting burnt out before us. But no. Mo Jethro says, Moses, what are you doing? <laughs> the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. And, you know, people will let us do it alone. Whatever service we've been in for God or are in for God, Sometimes people will let us do it alone. Well, if she's doing it, and if she's getting burdened, I'll just let her do it. No. Not only would Moses wear himself out, but it would be unfair on the people because they spent hours, days, weeks waiting for his attention. No, I'll see you later. You know, look, I've got someone else to see how often do we do it? And this poor person is saying, look, I need someone to talk to. The pastor's never there. The elders are busy. I can't really, I don't know what to do. Everyone was worn out. It wasn't just Moses. But everyone was just worn out. That's what the reading says, if you look at it closely. So how could Moses sustain the workload and the burden that was placed on him. Was it really mission impossible? And as I said at the beginning, this 
incident reminds us of the incident last week in the previous chapter when the people were fighting the Amalekites. Moses was literally upheld by his team members, Joshua and Hur. When Moses' hands grew weary, chapter 17, verse 12, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So Jethro saw, too, that the work was too much for one man to bear, and in his wisdom, he gave Moses some advice. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and you shall make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Yes, that's what you've been called to do. He was to do what he was called to do, to warn as a watchman, to, to teach God's law. But Jethro urged him to delegate to others, to build a team of honorable men. Verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. So these men were to be, as we often say, quality, men of quality, men who could discern the truth. There was to be no favoritism. It wasn't like a particular tribe of priests. No, it was going to be from all the people. There was no preference for any tribe, from any particular tribe. And there were to be men who wouldn't take a bribe or be bought. Honorable men, like Billy Graham was an honorable man. Um, I think we mentioned, if I can just find it, the manifesto that Billy Graham made with his team very early on in his ministry. Um, the Modesto Manifesto, a place called Modesto in the United States. And Billy Graham took his team around him early doors and says, look guys, we need to have financial integrity. We will get a, a reasonable wage and that's it. We don't take any extra money. Not open to bribes or they weren't to be bought. Second thing of the Modesto Manifesto, don't slag off any other ministers or pastors. Third, morally, never be left alone with another woman unless she's your wife or your daughter. And fourthly, statistically, be true to the numbers. Don't say there was 150,000 when there was only 100,000. So today, I am not, I'm going to resist counting Henry in the statistics. <laughs> There's, even although that would get us to 70. <laughs> so, you know, they kept that going right through. So if you notice all the stories, even Radio Scotland, even the BBC, we're saying, Billy Graham, there's nothing on him, unlike other evangelists and people who have brought shame on the gospel. So he says, 
give these other men responsibilities and place such men, verses 21 to 23, over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Now, if there's any big deal, let them bring it to you. But anything that doesn't really need you involved, no matter how small that might be, decide among yourselves. Early on in church planting, it took us a while to get round to getting the team involved. So I'd turn up at church and someone say, there's no milk in the fridge. <laughs> so my responsibility. <laughs> you know, so we need to say, well, I can take the milk every week. Or I can, I remember actually once, there was a man in the church and all he did really was, well, all he did, he did this. He cleaned the church. He always made sure there's a glass of water there for me. So we, Andy, he had come to faith through road recovery and in Renes, he'd come to stay in UST. He's just, that's what he did. But Andy was, goes back to Renes because he's now got grandchildren. So the first week he's away, I'm preaching away and I put my hand down. No glass. It's so important. Even if you just feel like that, the body needs you. For the body to function properly, the pinky needs to function properly. With, you know, it's the little stones in the dike that keep the big stones in place. It was Aaron and Har who held this, the hands of Moses. Uphold your leaders, your pastors, your fellow Christians in prayer. It is so important. And that's why on Wednesday we would just, as we grow in, under God's blessing. We know we need to be ready. If there is going to be a revival, we need to be ready. If we need to have people coming forward in their hundreds at the celebration of Hope and Falkirk, and as people say, well, there's 200 from Stirling came forward, and you're the church, you've put, you know, we need to be ready. We need to be trained. We need to be witnessing. We need to be equipped, but we need to share the burden. So, So it'll be easier for you, says Jethro. And then they will bear the burden with you. One of the essential functions of leadership is management. Delegation is the name of the game. It's devolving power, devolving duties. But that means we all need to be ready to serve or willing to serve. They would need to be willing to serve to share the burden with Moses. They would develop special relationships as a team supporting the work of God. So if Moses carried out these instructions, there would be two outcomes. You know when you do things and aims and outcomes? Two outcomes he would be able to stand the strain. The people would be satisfied. No longer complaining or grumbling. So Jethro, the shepherd, gave advice to the shepherd of God's flock, Moses. Crucial. <laughs> but would Moses take on board the advice of his father-in-law? After all, Moses is the chosen one. Moses is the one that God spoke to and chose. Moses 
He was given direct instruction from God, not from anyone else, not from his father-in-law. Moses is the one to tell others what to do, not being told what to do by others. Moses, in his wisdom, resisted that. But sadly, many leaders don't. They become dictators, power-driven. And it then becomes all about me, not about Jesus, not about the Lord. And when we elevate men, be careful. The best of men are men at best. Verse 24, we're nearly there. So much for the two headings. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. Good. Better. And he did what he said. He didn't question any of it. So Moses, the leader, the chosen one, reveals his willingness to accept advice. He shows humility. Moses, the teacher, has a teachable spirit. So many of us don't. And we can read his own words in Deuteronomy. Moses gives us the Pentateuch. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, Moses had said, How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And we read, verse 26 here, They judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, fair enough, but any small matter they decided between themselves. Then Moses, capital letters, let his father-in-law depart back to his own country. You know, it might have been tempting for Moses to hold on to him. But Jethro has played his part. He has been a link in the chain. He has given counsel and given Moses, his wife, and children back. So Moses was able to deal with the problems because he had delegated duties. And as a result, he was free to give us the Pentateuch. <laughs> You know, if he hadn't been freed up, when would he have time to give us the first five books of the Bible? The real work that God wanted him to do. Not to sort out some little trivial matter. And friends, this is so important. We are called to do the work that God has called us to do. Nothing must get in the way of it to make known the way of Christ, to further the cause of Christ, because as we saw from Alistair Barton last week, pray for Scotland, as one, that Roman position, when that Roman army position with their shields together, as one they won. And when the church is working as one, God commands a blessing. We sang it last week in the, in the well. Jesus prayed his last prayer. Lord, may they be one, as we are one. So did Jesus just go it alone? He chose 12. He chose 72. 
to share the workload and preach the gospel. And of course, the New Testament, soon after that great blessing of Pentecost, when 3,000 were added to the church in one day, the early church leaders, the apostles, saw the need of delegation. And they saw the need of suitably qualified men, not any old person, but suitably qualified people that would enable the apostles to do what they were called to do. Remember in Acts chapter 6, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. We won't have anything to do with it. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. But when those who have been called to the ministry of the Word and to prayer are sidetracked, the devil wins. So it is with this church at this very important stage in our development. We need to delegate others to work in the team, the body, to play a part. So what is God calling you to do? I can say it to Dave because he's not here. Joan Mann says, I'll cover the Sunday school before we even asked because she knew that Anne was away and you were visiting my dad. When you see a need, say, I can do that. So what do you need to prioritize in your life? Can you help facilitate the ministry of others? Can you take some of the ministry? Because Jesus is recruiting today. Will you join the team? He will give you a purpose, and He has a plan for your life. Don't be too busy for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that all of us would see that we are the body and that you are the head and that we all have a part to play. No matter how insignificant that might be to others, nothing is insignificant to you, Lord. We should not grow weary in doing good. And we pray, Lord, that all of us would rise to the challenge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray now for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, to rest and remain with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Be seated, be silent for a moment, and just commit to God in the secret of your own heart what you would desire to do for Him. No matter how small or how may huge it may be, He can guide you in that. Thank you, Lord, for your creation. Thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your love. Bless us in our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.